It's good to be here this Sunday morning. I've been going through uh, kind of a series on the names of God. Uh, we're not going to do that this morning. Uh, just really feel just a, a pressing in my spirit uh, to, to talk on something different today. This is going to be just really a pastoral type message. I want to try to encourage our church. Uh, before I get started, I would like to go to the Lord in prayer. So if you would, would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning I want to come to you and I just pray, God, that you would, um, as you look down upon us, God, you, you see everything about us. You you know the things uh, that we're, we're dealing with, the trials, the uh, struggles. You know the joys. Uh, Everything is open before you, Lord. You know our, you know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that God, that you would, you would get glory today. That Christ would be magnified, and that your word would be proclaimed. God, give me grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, this morning, um, so what is this? Is this May? Are we right at the first of May? May Day, okay. We have, uh, for, for many of you that don't know this, we, myself and Justin, we had, and some of us here, we're, we were a little congregation over in Stratford. And last September, our little church and this church, we merged together as not one church absorbing another, but two churches coming together with a a common frame of mind, a, a view of doctrine and theology, and we felt like it was God's will to become one. Now, when you do things like that, there, hopefully, at the start, there's a lot of excitement. There's, it's new. It's uh, you know we don't you don't know how things are just going to go. I mean, there's an excitement, kind of a and electricity, maybe, if you want to put it that way. And I think I felt that. I hope that you did. Um, not only did those two churches come together, but even also in that, we've had several people become members of our church. Well, here's what usually happens. And I'm just going to compare it to this, okay, to a marriage. I don't want to knock the tambourine, silly. But in a marriage, young couple gets married. Or it could even be an older couple, you know, maybe things work out. But at first, there's the honeymoon. I mean, everything's just wonderful. Man, I mean, you're just so in love. I mean, man, love's just going to win over everything, right? I mean, no matter what happens, you know, it's like, ah, oh, that doesn't matter. We're just so in love. Then a few months go by, a year goes by, and all of a sudden these these things that really didn't bother you before, now they just annoy you. And it's safe to say at that point, and somewhat, the honeymoon is over. I talked to a guy the other day, and he said something about, I, I cover for this man at work. 
when he's gone, I'll, I'll work the area he works, and said something about going on vacation, and I was kind of teasing with him. I said, man, you need to take your wife to Ireland. I said, we did that last summer, and he says, Ireland? He said, man, I'm just going fishing or something. I said, no, 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 man, you need to, you need to take your wife down to Broken Bow for a couple nights. He's like, dude, we're married. He said, oh, that's over. And I said, no, no, no. I said, man, you've got to stoke the fire. You've got to do things. My wife's probably looking at me like, yeah. She's probably about to amen me. But that's what happens in a marriage. And I don't want to start some world war between husbands and wives today. But you just grow used to things and you don't like certain things and you voice your disapproval a lot of times and rarely do we voice what we do approve of. And But we find these things in our marriages, right? Let me just tell you about the world we live in. When I say the world we live in, I am speaking really about just the American culture somewhat. We, we live in one that is lacking. Or maybe you could even say to the point that is without commitment. It is, lacking in, it, is, it is lacking in contentment. It is lacking in commitment and submission. These are things that just are not, they're just very rarely taught today. How, how do I know this? In the American culture, for the most part, now this may not, this may not be you, but generally speaking, the American culture is so enamored with professional sports, right? Okay. When I was growing up, I had favorite team and I had favorite player and whatever it was, football, basketball. And you know what you knew? You knew your favorite player was always going to be on your favorite team. That's why that was kind of the package deal. It's not like that anymore. Because everybody is about their self. Everybody is about what is this going to give me? I've got to leave my legacy. I've got to get a championship. I'm going to leave this. I'm going to leave all of this just for me so I can get mine. No commitment, no loyalty, no learning to submit to authorities. Used to a coach was a coach. A player was a player. Now if the player doesn't like the coach, guess who's gone? Because it's all about winning. It's all about getting all that we can get. In, in, in today's world, now where's OB at? He's back there and he's so proud today because his team beat our team last night. And I'll tell you why his team beat our team. That team's been around forever. There's an old man on that team. He's 40 years old. And for an NBA basketball player, it's an old man. 40 years old. You know why he's probably one of the greatest players to ever play? Because when he came on the scene, he was an absolute superstar. And there was an old man that was before him that was playing with him. You know what the old man did that had been the previous star? He took a second role to this kid. And you know what this guy's done in his later years? Instead of saying, hey, it's all about me, i got to get mine, he's, he's downplayed his role that other guys can step up. Why am I telling you about sports today? Why am I telling you these things? Husbands and wives... We talked about that a little bit. What about just families? Do, let me ask you this. Do, do your families sit down at a table and eat together? Or is the mom 
some kind of short order chef. And when I say short order, I mean what can we pop in a microwave? Everybody in the family's doing their own thing. I was doing an installation the other day, and, the, and these grandparents, I don't know where the parents are at, but the grandparents say, yeah, our 16-year-old grandson comes in. He's irate because he doesn't have Internet. He's chewing them out. But when it's on, all he does is go to his whatever room he has, shuts the door and doesn't appear until it's time to find something to eat on his own. This same mentality has crept into our churches. Now, why am I saying this today? Because eight months ago, there was a lot of excitement in this work. It's not as exciting now, is it? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. It's not as exciting, is it? When we came over here and you didn't really know who Ron was, there was kind of this curiosity. What's this guy like? What's he all about? It was new. It wasn't Randy. It wasn't Nate. It wasn't whoever else. It was different when Justin came. Didn't know him. The group that came over were like, we don't know these people real well. Now we do, and guess what? None of us are real exciting, are we? We figured all that out. Some are a little more exciting than others. I just can't help it. Just me, no. I'm not exciting. But I'd say it's safe to say that the honeymoon is over. And if we're not careful, listen to me. This is pastoral warning. If we're not careful, if you don't stoke the fire, we're going to become just a statistic of just a regular old church in a little old small town, rural America. That's all we're going to be. Now, my goal is not so we cannot be that statistic. That is not my goal. Do you me tell you why these things happen? It's because we lose focus. It's because we lose our memory. We have memory lapses in what we're all about. Now, I'm not talking about what we're all about in the sense that we're a church and we're trying to do things. That's not what we're all about. Listen, folks, what we're all about is this. Every single one of you that is alive in Christ this morning at one time was lost in sin, in darkness. You were so absorbed in your wickedness, you were like a fish in water. It would have been about telling you, you're all wet if you was a fish. Fish goes, what are you talking about? That's how much in sin you were. And you're like, you don't know me. It doesn't matter if I know you or not. If you were the enemy of God, you were overwhelmed in sin. You may not have been doing the drug use. You may not have been in whatever it was, fornication, all that stuff. You might have been the person that was so full of pride that you weren't that person. But make no mistake, you were in sin. In Ephesians 1, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to go through the first three chapters. I'm just going to skip through it because we're going to get to chapter 4 in a moment. In chapter 1, just listen to these things that God says. If you want to know what the, the book of Ephesians is about, the first three chapters are about God's riches to us, how rich we are in Christ. 
And this is what he says. I'm going to pick up in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You go, well, I don't really feel that. Then you need to figure out what's going on in your life that you're not feeling that. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, he set his affection on you. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He set his affection. He chose you. He predestined you that you would be his child by the spirit of adoption. He has placed his Holy Spirit in you, whereby you can cry, Abba, Father, unto this God that Paul has spoke to us about this morning. And he goes on and he says, let me skip down. He says, uh, in verse 7, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. I explained this the other night, or maybe he's at the prison. I don't remember where I was at now. The redemption price. What is, what, what is something worth? You know, I remember underground, a guy wanted a snowmobile. He knew that if he lost a finger, it'd pay about eight or $9,000. He took an axe underground and cut his finger off because he wanted a snowmobile. Problem was, he got caught, got fired, lost a finger, and didn't get a snowmobile. How much is an arm worth? I mean, if you lose an arm on a job, it's about $50,000. What's an eye worth? Here's the thing. What was your soul worth? What did he say? The redemption through his blood. It was his blood was the price of your redemption. In order to buy you back, it cost Christ his life. His blood, his life was shed, was given for you. And he says, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Have you ever considered the riches of his grace in forgiving you? Whether you like this or not, your sins have been forgiven. All of them. Not just, what, not just the big things that you can remember you've done. All the other things that you don't even realize you've done, the, the things you're in right now, the things that are going to happen, Christ's blood paid for it all. You want to talk about the riches of His grace? This is what He's done for us. He goes on and He says, look down in verse 11, He says, In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, or the good news of your salvation, you believed in him and were sealed with the promise of his Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. What is that saying? When we heard the gospel 
He he gave us a new heart. He made a new creation. We responded. He placed His Holy Spirit in us. We are sealed. It's a picture of when a king would send a letter and he had a seal. His stamp of approval is on us. It is the guarantee that we are His possession until He comes to take us home. Have you forgot that? Be careful how you answer. In chapter 2, I'm not going to go through the chapter 2, the verse 10, verse 10 verses of chapter 2 are very famous. For by grace we've been saved through faith, not according to works. That famous part, you go on through there. He talks about how that there's no longer Jew over here, Gentile here. The middle wall's been torn down. There's one new body. There's one person in Christ. It's no more Jew, Gentile. They're all the same. We have been made a part of God's family. Do you realize that Father Abraham, that the Jews so proudly hold to, were brothers with Abraham? We are in the same exact boat as Abraham is. King David, Samuel, Daniel, all of these people, the Apostle Paul, Peter. We are all part of the body of Christ. You get in chapter 3 and Paul's going to explain that mystery, how that this mystery that people didn't get in the Old Testament... Just always remember this. People in the Old Testament didn't get it. They didn't see it. How that God was going to call Gentiles in by faith. Folks, for the most part, that's you and I today. And then look at this. Look in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't know of a Christian alive that wouldn't read those first three chapters. And, and I tell you this, go read them. Go read them slowly. Take time and read them and see how rich you are in Christ. We love that. And you get past chapter 4. You get into 5 and 6, and man, chapter 6, he's talking about putting on the armor of God, taking the shield of faith, the sword of righteousness. I mean, let's take these things, and let's go to war, right? We get fired up, especially us guys, we get fired up already. I remember Justin, man, there was this video, this dude swinging his sword around. Man, it get him fired up. That's the way guys think. Women are like, that seems really odd. Verse, chapter 4 is the pivot point of the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, he's telling you what God has done for you and how rich you are in Christ. And Paul says in chapter 4, he says, I therefore, 
a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That that phrase there, that that to walk in a manner worthy, I forget the Greek word. Some of my Bibles I have it actually wrote in there. I haven't wrote it in this one yet. But what it means, it's it's like in view of the fact that what's been done for you, walk in a manner that would be worthy of what God has done for you. It's kind of like balance, like a scales of balance. It's like it's like you ever heard the phrase he's uh What's somebody help me? Some, some about worth his salt. You know, somebody goes to work and he says, "Man, that guy's worth his salt." Or something. isn't that a phrase, Don? I know you've got to know that phrase. I think Don was there when that phrase was invented. You know, but, but yeah, he's not worth his salt. Now, what that meant was this: salt was a very precious commodity, and oftentimes, person people were paid from their labor with salt. I mean, it was so precious, and if a guy was not worth his salt, that means he wasn't a good worker at all. If he was worth his salt, it's like, man, this is the guy you want to hire. He's telling us as Christians, in light, in view of what has been done for us, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, he said, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's going to tell us how. With all humility and gentleness and patience, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, can I tell you something, church? It does not matter how much you know or how much you think you know. It does not matter. If you know all of these truths and you can explain them, and then yet when it comes here to walking in a manner worthy of what's been done for you, you are not Walking in humility, you are not walking in gentleness. You are not living your life with patience for others or bearing with one another in love. And you're not eager to have unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you're not striving for those things in the body of Christ, it does not matter to me or should not matter to anybody else. But most specifically, it does not matter to God how much you think you know. Now, my question to you today, church, is this. Are are you walking with humility? Do you know what you know what that is? Do you know what all these things are saying? I want you to be a servant. I want you to be that slave. To who? To one another. I I will I this will forever just blow me away. And and if you've done this, I've probably done it. Because we feel it at times. Man, we just want to serve, don't we? We just want to serve, don't we, Philip? And you know what we'll tell people? Chris, I'll say, man, brother, I just got a servant's heart. Well, there's a good sign right there you don't. You me tell you how you really know if you have a servant's heart? When somebody treats you like a servant 
Let's see how you respond. What is that? What? How have we glorified this servanthood to like, I just got a servant's heart and I just love serving people. No, actually what that usually means is I like doing for others when it's convenient for me. It does not push me out of my comfort zone. Then I'm going to serve. My problem is I ain't found them people yet where it's real convenient for me. Where it doesn't get me out of my comfort zone. Where, you know, I just want to come in, I just want to do my thing. I haven't found that group of people yet that lets me serve just because i got a servant's heart. I'm going to serve you, Chris, when, when I think you need it. And Chris is like, man, that guy's timing is impeccable. I don't need anything, but just when he feels it, man, it's right. That, that is, that is a, like Paul was saying, that is a fairy tale world we're living in. What does it mean to put on humility? Probably the best example that I can possibly give you is this. We serve a Savior who was God the Son, who was fully God. And He came to this earth, He came to this world that He created, and He came and took on. The form of a man. He looked just like us. When we read the scriptures, folks, listen, don't be so hard on those people that did not receive him. Okay? And here's why. I'm not saying they're good people. But I'm telling you, you're just looking at a guy that's come from Nazareth that's surrounded by a cloud of controversy in who his dad is. Okay? He's not coming as some rich person. He's just coming over there as some 30-year-old guy, and all of a sudden things are happening. You're not, listen, all these pictures that you see painted where there's glow around his head, that did not exist. He was just another Jew in the eyes of all these people, and this guy is saying, well, I'm going to do what my father does. And if my father's working, speaking of God the Father, then I'm going to work. You, you, you can't, we can't even, as Americans, we can't even get the magnitude of what he's saying there. But what I'm trying to tell you is that this God, our Savior, came in the form of a man. He humbled himself. And he did not come to rule over people at that time. He came to serve. He stooped down and took the meaning of this, that menial task of pouring water into a, a bowl, a basin. He poured a pitcher of water into it, and then he comes over. Man, boy, what do you think you would do, brother? Here's Christ. He comes over. They hadn't even realized there was nobody in that room to wash their feet. That was the custom of the day. Either one of them would be appointed, or there would be somebody there that that was their actual job. For whatever reason, that guy didn't show up that day in that upper room. And they're talking. They're probably busy. And they don't even notice that Christ takes off his, his regular clothes. He puts on this towel. He girds himself in it. And he, and he walks over and he slides this bowl. Can you imagine the silence, the hush that comes over that room? And I don't know who he went to first. I don't know if it was John or... 
you know, who, whoever it was, and he just, he don't know what to do, and Jesus just starts washing his feet. And he slides it down. And Peter, he's like, no way. No way are you going to wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash you, you've got no part with me. Now, when I first read humility to you and you thought, yeah, I'm there. Where are you at now? Where are you at now? You see, we, we are so saturated in the American culture. We, we want to be respected. We not only have a servant's heart, but we want everybody to know about us being great servants. And we want you all to share it with everybody how great servants we are. That's how much humility I have. And the whole time you're telling people, I'll be going, oh, don't, please stop. Because you've got to put on humility, right? Look, I'm not picking on you. I'm telling you how ugly my heart is. Gentleness. Can I ask you just to pray for me? Some people hate me, and some people like me. There's usually not really an in-between. They really don't like me, or they really do. You don't got to decide which one you're on today. Sometimes my personality is needed, okay? Sometimes. I would say most of the time it's probably not. And what do I mean by that? I'm, I'm a guy that's... Not what we think of today as the typical pastoral type that you go and the guy is just, you know, kind of like, well, what's going on, you know, and talks kind of. I feel like if I try to talk softer, I just found sound pretty effeminate, and I don't really like that, okay? So, I mean, this is just the way I sound. This is the way I look. I mean, we got a rough start on being gentle just there, right? But But my problem is... I'm lacking in another one's going to come up. It's called patience. And when somebody's telling me, you know, the things they're going with and going through and all these things, I'm just kind of this guy. I'm just like, well, anyway, so what, what is the problem? Just tell me what the problem is. Let's, let's cut through all of this. Sometimes that's needed. I think there's a lot of times, though, that people just need to be able to Say, man, I'm going through this, and somebody just needs to be gentle enough that they can talk to. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, I ain't very good at it. Now, do I say, well, that's just the way I am? Or do I read this and I go, I want to walk worthy of what's been done for me. I'm not doing very good in this, so God help me to be gentle. Patience, talked about that. As far as me, a little bit. Patience. Can you imagine how patient Christ was with his disciples? I mean, do you ever notice when you go through the Gospels, they don't look like the brightest group of people? I mean, they're constantly not getting it. 
I mean, they're with him, and it isn't always good to be with the guy that really knows. I mean, he knows his stuff, and you're hanging out, and as long as you don't open your mouth, you look like you probably know also. Right? Doesn't the Scripture say something about a fool, basically, when he doesn't know, he opens his mouth, and he, he, he gives... There's no doubt now he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. You ever been around those guys? Well, as long as you stay quiet, you're going to... But after the people would leave, they would say, Lord, what, what does this mean? Do you think Christ put on patience with those guys? And he's like, don't you understand? Over and over and over. Here he is showing them how to walk, how to be the example, how to lead by serving. And then what are they doing? They're back there going, no, no, I'm going to be the greatest. No, me and James, James and John, man, we, we're, my mom's going to talk to Jesus. We're going we're gonna to be there. I mean, that looks silly, right? And we would never be like that, right? Don't give no amens. We would never be like that. He says, bearing with one another in love. Now, I feel like a lot of times we definitely bear with one another. And what does that mean? It's like, man, I'm going to go through this with you. But that, those two words on the end, that might be a little bit of a struggle in love. The Bible tells us to be long-suffering with one another. The old modern translation will probably say patient. But in like the old King James, New King James, it will say to be long-suffering. Now think about that word. What does that mean? That means to suffer long, to, to walk with them through this trial. And let me ask you something. How long-suffering do you think we should be? I mean, here's really the way we look at it. Somebody comes, they've got a problem, we go, we talk about it, we pray about it. Boy, it gets it. Man, there's nothing like to a guy to check done. Done, done. I mean, we go down the checklist. Boyd comes back. It's like we checked that off. Well, okay, let's go over it again. Tells me the same thing again. I'm like, that's the same thing you told me last time. I'm going to give you the same answers again. We pray, boom, he's doing good. Comes back third time. Boyd, it's getting old, brother. Tell me it again. We do it again. Comes back the fourth time, though. This is ridiculous. Isn't it ridiculous for a guy four times he's still dealing with the same thing, right? Well, I got a question for you, for any four timers out there, or twenty-five timers out there. I got one question for you: How long suffering do you want Christ to be with you? I'll tell you my answer. Until I win the victory. So if you want to know how long suffering you need to be, you hang with him until the victory is won. That's what you do. Now this is the way we're to walk. He goes and he says, we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager, eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit and the bond of peace. I want you to look around today. And just look around the people you're glad that are here. Okay? Say, I'm glad they're here. And I want you to do another look. And I want you to look around the people that you really don't really like a lot. 
Honeymoon's over, church. Wednesday night's been going through the book of Corinthians. Wednesday night crowd's getting awfully thin. I'm not exactly sure why. You, you know what? I'm a very simple, basic guy. I'm, I'm an Acts 2.42 guy. If, I, that may be the verse. Some may probably say, you were wrong. But I think it's 2.42. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That's, that's the Christian life to me, right there. And I'm so basic and I'm so simple, I don't really care how we do that. We can just simply just sit together and pray. We can do an elaborate deal. We can make it cooler and pray. We can just say, hey, man, come on, we're going to eat something. What are we, I don't know, we're going to eat. We're going to eat so you can eat with us. Or we can put on a big meal. I don't, I don't none of those, those details are, I'm not real big on. And guess what? There's nothing in Scripture that says you need to, you know, need to have a Wednesday night service or a Sunday night. It just says the church met together. I think it might do us good to go back and look at our covenant. Now, listen, I know there's times people got to miss, got to be late and stuff, but here's the problem. The problem is we, when this starts creeping in, here's what happens. We start forgetting why we meet on Wednesday nights. We, we start, or, or whatever it is, faith and reason. Man, people's coming, people's coming. Nobody came. Why? See, here's where I think we fall into the American culture. What's boring? Seen a video a few years ago. Justin would be at school. He'd find all these weird churches. I, I, I got to quit that stuff, okay? He'd find some unique churches. And he would show me these things that they're doing, okay? One of them, they, they hired contractors. This is a big church now, I mean way big. Hired contractors to bring in tons of dirt, made two jumps, hired some motocrossers, motorcycles, you know, and they're like, wang! I mean, right up here on the, right here behind the pulpit, and this dude's up there, and they're, wang, and they're jumping, and they're crossing in the air. So we can talk about the cross. Now, I'm just going to be honest. That's That would be pretty cool. If you never watched any motocross, you didn't grow up around motorcycles, you see something like that, and I mean, that's that's probably far more cool than just me standing here and talking to you about the cross. My question to you is, why do you come? Why do you not come? If, you're, if your focus is Christ, listen, when we start comparing ourselves, and the Bible says it's not good to compare yourselves amongst one another, but I've got to be honest with you. It ain't wise because when I start comparing myself to people that go to the underground church in China or they're in India, and they're going to these, these little places where they're having what they would call a pastor's conference. And they're going to a, a tent hidden in the woods and, or whatever it be. And they got a dirt floor. And, 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 the, and the, the people doing the conference are a bunch of nobodies who are just in love with Christ. And they're trying to proclaim the good news. And then we, then we have to have all of these things. 
I've been told, you know, a lot, I mean, a lot of good suggestions. Well, we need to do this or do this. I'm just going to tell you this. We can try whatever we want, and I'm going to tell you, here's, here's going to be the thing every time. We do something first. Hey, this is really cool. We're no longer rode up. We're in a circle. I'm not trying to make fun of that. I don't care if we do a circle. But guess what? If we do a circle 15 times, it ain't cool no more either. Let's get in a diamond shape. Let's do all these different things. Let's get chairs with wheels on them. I mean, folks, do you understand what I'm saying? My question to you is this. When did Christ become so boring that we have to manufacture things to create a hunger within us? That's my question. In light that He chose you, that He predestined you, He adopted you, He placed His Holy Spirit in you, He redeemed you, He made, gave you an inheritance that He is your inheritance. You are part of the family of God. You're with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all of those patriarchs. Man, Ephesians 19 Paul had a two-year deal going, man. It was great. Remember that? He was in Ephesians, kind of got, you know, rough shot a little bit. So what they do? They started meeting at the house of a guy named Tyrannus, okay? I don't know who he was, but they was using his facilities. And basically, it was probably your first seminary. I don't know if you want to call it that. But for two years, he's teaching in there all every day. Two years. You know why it went out, Chris? This is the part you can't read in Acts. Apollos comes on the other side of town. They form a circle and they hand out fans at the door where you can stay cool. And he started doing it different. I'm making that up. Don't go find that in your Bibles. What I'm saying, folks, is you've got to get right back down to the basics. We didn't form this church to have bigger numbers. Although, I ain't going to lie, I like it. I like having more people than just ten. I do. Not just for numbers' sake, but, I, you know. When we lose sight of what we are about, and we're supposed to be about Christ... There should be a hunger in us. Listen, there's a, listen. I want to tell you something. Sometimes we, I hear things taught. I know it. I already know it. I know most of it. Sometimes I hear something like, wow, I never thought about that. That one thing was worth it to me. I never get tired of hearing truths about Christ taught. I never, listen, I can know your testimony, and I want to hear it again. Because it excites me. Some people start getting to a point where they, just, they, they know, and they don't need to be taught no more. I'm not that guy. I love hearing Paul Wilson talk on... I, I've, I've heard that before. I know, but every time I hear it, I go, gosh, I need to know that better. You cannot sit here 
and have a mind. Listen, when I'm talking about commitment in the local church and all those things, God instituted the local church, folks. I'm just going to tell you straight up, that's what God instituted, okay? And when you become a part of that, you're entering into a commitment. You're entering into a covenant where you're submitting to the authority. Everybody here is. And what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to be a part of this. Do I always agree with Randy, Nate, and Justin or whoever on what they're saying? Not always. I'm just like, man, these guys got so much to learn. But, no. Actually, I learn a lot. I don't always agree. They don't always agree with me. Because I'm, I'm not all-knowing. But here's what I've said. I'm a part of this. And I'm going to be a part of this. Because here's what's been done for me. Listen, folks, can you imagine? Did anybody see the blind side of that movie about the football player? Now, you gotta, you just got to know that all that stuff ain't true about it. But generally speaking, it's about a true story. But there's one part in that probably hit me the most. Here's this, 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 this kid from the streets and wherever, wherever that was, Memphis or wherever. And he's a humongous black guy. I mean, I mean, he's just a you know football player, and he's with this family, this white kind of rich family, so so culturally different. But they take him in, and after all these time that he's with them, they come to him. They say, Michael, we would like for you to be a part of our family. He said, I, I thought I already was. Now, he, in his mind, he was there. Listen. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you this. As as part of a a local church, a local family, church in America doesn't get it on what fellowship is and what it means. And I'm using intimacy in just the the real sense that that we could be in fellowship, be united in, in in a sense of a family atmosphere. And I'm going to tell you this. You can have the best church in the world and you can come to this building and you can linger after for an hour and you can visit, but you will never, you will never have that close-knit relationships as when you are involved in each other's lives. And I'm not talking about some dude like, man, he's coming over again. Hide. You know, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about when people are struggling. You're having people over. You're getting to know them. You're visiting. And people around you are seeing this. They're seeing Kobe and Tyler and, 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 and people around them. And they're going, man, what is what do you guys got going? I, I, I've never asked him. But I would be willing to bet I could ask Kobe and Amy what was it that you saw in our little group? What did you see? And I bet it was something along those lines. There was this family atmosphere, right? Amen? And, 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 and there was something. Listen. We are Sovereign Grace Bible Church. And after eight months, you're looking around. You're like, now whose kids are them? I'm not sure about that guy. can't make you do anything i don't want to make you do anything i want you to understand what's been done for you and i want you to understand who you are let me let me get with this because i'm i I don't want to keep you long 
We need to have this mind to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Because he said there's one body. He just told you there's no more Jew and Gentile. There's not these classes of Christians. You're not a second class Christian. You, you may say, Brother Ronnie, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I'm, I've definitely got to be. No, you're not second class. You may have a horrid past, but I will tell you the God that we serve is able to take those ashes and make beauty out of those ashes. He says there's, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord. There's one faith, there's one baptism, one God and Father of all who is Overall, he is, he is sovereign. He's supreme. He's through all. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And he is, he is in all. Or through all. That, that's where we look and we can behold that there is a God. And in all, he's given us his Holy Spirit. And he said, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Briefly said, it's just simply saying that when Christ came, he descended. He descended lower than you and I will ever descend. And he's ascended higher than everything that has a height to it. And he is our Savior. And he says, now listen, talking about, he, he, talking about he gave gifts to men, he says he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. He gave these gifts. It does not mean that you don't know things. It does not mean that you're not smart enough to understand on your own. God did not make it that way. It's just like in a marriage. People can say, well, in our, in our marriage, I let Sally run everything, and I just stay. Listen, you can do that, and, and you can make it work and all these things, but I will tell you this, it's not God's design. I heard a guy one time, he didn't preach much truth, but this day he did. He said, I can walk around on my arms all day. He said, when I was a kid, I used to walk on my hands. He said, I can do that. And I can get around life. But guess what? Life is a whole lot more difficult. You can do things a different way than God designed it. And it's going to be far more difficult. God gave His church. He gave a design to it. He gave gifts in it. The church where we were at previous to here, I had acted as a pastor a long time ago. Then I was ordained as an elder in one place. In another place, people said, oh, we want you to pastor the church. I took that on. And in every one of these places, man, they just did not go well. Now, I know that might scare you, okay? When we got to the last place we had before here, The guy was the, the, the founding elder. He came to me and he said, I want you to be a co-elder with me. And I said, look, brother, I've had enough problems in this area. I just don't know. I just, I don't know. I said, let's just give it some time. I feel like everything I touch is like the opposite of the Midas touch. It just, man, it just fall apart. 
and several months went by, and here was the thing. The people looked to me as a pastor in that role, as, as an elder in the church. Whether I was going to take it or not, that's the way they looked to me. I remember one lady, sister in church, she came and she said, whether you accept it or not, that's the way I see you. You know when it's time to, to ordain elders, you know who you look to? You got qualifications, but you look for the person that's doing the same work. They're coming alongside and they're helping. They're, they're tending to. They're saying, hey, what can I do regardless if they're ever ordained or not? That's what they're going to do. That person isn't going to start doing it once ordained. They're already doing it. As probably as many mistakes as I do make and as many things, I will tell you this. As I look at you as this congregation, trust me, if someone was to come in with bad doctrine or somebody you was talking to, you'll see a whole different side of me in times like that. Especially when I feel like it's somebody who probably can't defend their self, scripturally speaking. I will go right to, I'll go right with you and we'll go talk to this person. And I'll make no qualms about what, what the truth is. You know why? Because I care for you. Because there's something in me that says I want to protect you. Now, I've got a lot of flaws, not real gentle, not real patient. There's things I've got, things I've got to work on. But there's something that God has put in me that I don't think is of me. He gave us, listen, I'll get back to this. He gave us these gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I am not somebody, I love to see people come and say, man, I just feel like God's called me into ministry in this area, whatever. Man, I want to help. Sometimes I'm a little too helpful, a little too, sometimes I have to learn to back off. And I'm not some micromanager. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, hey, Chris, yeah, and then I'm like, ah, whoa, you, no, I'm not going to do that. When I first started preaching, I probably couldn't I probably couldn't preach ten minutes, and it was pretty choppy, pretty rough. I've made a lot of mistakes, and God's been very gracious. I will try to offer help, counsel, advice, mostly from experience, things like that. But I promise you, I will cheer you on, and I will encourage you. I will do that. He says he wants to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The other night, another, a few weeks ago, we went to a nursing home in town. I can't think of the name of it, but we went there, and I, I meant to talk to Chris Philip before this started, but too late. I'm going to tell it anyway. I've, I've been trying to do prayer meeting at 6 o'clock on Sunday evenings. And it, when, you're, when you're on a Wednesday, you know, and you're thinking about it, it's like a great thought. Well, Sunday rolls around, you're exhausted, you're wore out, and you don't want to come back at 6. If, if that's you, that's me too. 
Sometimes I forget to say, oh, we're not going to do it. Sometimes I forget to remind people we're going to do it. I'm terrible. That's why I needed guys like Randy and Nate because they're very organized and I'm very not. Well, we got out of there and it was about 3.30 or so. And Chris says, hey, are we going to do prayer meeting tonight? And I went, oh, forgot to tell everybody. We had, to, we had an, another engagement we had to go do. Had to keep a grandbaby. That one. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked at him and I said, Chris, I said, I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that regardless if I ever go back to that nursing home, that they feel something in there that says, well, whether you go back or not, Ron, I'm coming over and I'm going to minister to these people. Whether or not I'm able to come back to their prayer meeting, somebody's going to say, I'll open up and I'll make sure that thing's open where people can come pray. That's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the body of Christ to be built up, to see that there is a need to see the ministry that's out there. I hear people say a lot of times, I just don't know where I, you know, what, what can I do? We have all kinds of opportunities. We have all kinds of opportunities. I don't want to embarrass this guy, but matter of fact, I'm not even going to say his name. But this guy... At a, at a moment's notice, will serve in whatever capacity he needs to serve. Whatever capacity. Let me ask you something, folks. Do you think it's important to teach our children? Now, as parents especially, right? It is. Do you think it's important what we do here on Sunday mornings? And Wednesday nights. Now be careful before you shake your head yes. Because I think there's about four ladies that sign up. No men. Unless you've done it recently, no men. I want to embarrass Melissa. That girl works her tail off. And nobody knows it. She never gets to set in Wednesday night. The other night, it was a really small crowd. She says, hey, I might get to be here tonight. There's no kids yet. And then some kids came in, and she's like, never complains. The guy I'm going to embarrass, I'm going to embarrass Justin. Anything I've ever needed Justin to do, he does it. His brother is an awesome guitar player, singer, right? Justin will tell you something, man, I'm terrible. He ain't terrible. Sometimes he does fast things in the songs you're not ready for. Sometimes he slows it up. You're, you know, you got to hang on tight when he's running that ride. I promise you that. But you know what? When he sings and stuff, we just worship. If I need him to do this, hey, I can't go to the prison, man. Can you go? I'll go. Never a complaint. You want to serve? Do you know that's what this church is about? It's about serving? Christ came as a servant? Serve! Don't expect no pat on the back. If it comes, great! Pop the balloon head as soon as it happens. Don't believe the press report on you how 
awesome you are. Just serve. Be a part. Look, there's people. We've got people in our church. Maybe they've never been invited to somebody's house. Call them up. Oh, I know. We're all so busy. Listen, folks, we're so busy. Start going through your book and finding out the things that really don't pertain to anything in life. I'm a gamer. I'm 38 and I play. Stop it. Get rid of the things that are not building up the body of Christ. Get rid of the things you're not. And I'm not talking about if you, things you've got to do, but I'm talking about things that don't belong that's keeping you from being a part of the fellowship. Have one another over. Go serve. When somebody's moving, when somebody's doing this, find out. When somebody's child is sick in the hospital, you don't need somebody calling and saying, hey, pray for them. Pray for them. You call. Find out how they're doing. Find out if you can help. Do you, can I make a meal for you? This is what the church is. It's the body of Christ. It's building it up. Listen. I know I'm, I seem like I'm all over the board right now. Maybe I am. But we want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh, I long to see a church where people are growing and maturing in Christ. You know, anytime you're as a parent and you see your, your children about to step out of the home and they're going to, whether they're going to college or get married or whatever it is, you're just cringing. Because like, ah, oh, there's, there's no way they're not, they're never going to make it. They'll make it. I had to be one of the most ill-prepared guys leaving my home and, and looking at getting married. I was absolute uh, moron. I mean, I, I thought I knew everything. I didn't have a clue. God's good. As parents, we try to raise our children up. We're not perfect parents. I'm definitely not perfect. And you know what the sad thing is? I looked at my parents and I said, I'm going to do better than that. So I tried to implement ideas and stuff that I thought was better than them. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I've been told, you know, I'm not always the best parent. That's from my kids, you know. But I hope overall, I hope they can see the effort that was tried to be made. Same thing as, as being an elder in the church. I can't make anybody do anything. I can't make you love one another. I can't make you. I don't want to make you do things. I want you to see Christ for who he is, and I want that to be in you. That you 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 have a mind to say, this is what they're talking about. I want to go out and I want to serve. And then I want to be with my church family. And I want to communicate and I want to encourage. You know what? It would be awesome if we had people up here sharing about going out and doing evangelism. Sharing about, hey, I got to visit with this person. And man, I, that would be very encouraging. We don't do that. You got something to share? Let me know. I'm going to end it pretty much with this. Listen. He goes on and he says, 
He wants us to come to this measure and this stature, this fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's what I'm talking about a while ago. You see see people, everything that comes down the pike now. I mean, every, every mega church, I mean, some are good, some are terrible, but it's got some little gimmick to it and... I know Christians, and I love these people dearly, but every fad, every mainstream popular thing that comes down the pike, they are all over it. Every time. Listen, it's just like people's like multi-level marketing nutritional thing. Listen, they're all probably good. We jump on it. We're going to get make our millions. Oh, praise the Lord with it, right? And then it doesn't work out. And the next one comes down. Like, whoa, I feel awesome. And we're on it again. We're on it again. And and you have all these starter kits over here piled up in the closet of all these different nutritional companies or whatever it is. Christianity is not hard. It is basically about a group of believers coming together as a local church and loving each other, praying with, praying for one another, encouraging one another, fellowshipping, breaking bread, teaching one another. It's not hard. And you know what? And that's not boring. It's not boring. He goes on, I'll hurry. He says, He doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are his body. And he says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You can have all these ingredients, but if you don't love one another, your church is not growing. It's going to die. It may be dead a long time before the people leave. But if listen, love is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not me just like, oh, I just love Darren and Christy and their family. That's not, that's not what it is. It's when Darren and Christy... Maybe they're going through a difficult time, and it's and it's it's an act. Listen, every lady in here can relate to this. There's a there's a part that they want from their husband that's more than just "Hey, I love you." They want to they want to feel that security just simply by the actions, and and it goes both ways. 
to fill those actions. We can say, hey, Josh, be warmed and filled, brother. Love you. And then, but Josh says, man, he says that every time, but but every time I, I ask him if he can help me with this, he's like, oh, I got to go. Not feeling the love, are you? Well, there's a reason. Because it's not love. To be a Christian, you're going to have to be vulnerable. To be a Christian, you're going to have to put on humility. You're going to have to be gentle. You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to to bear one another's loads. You're going to have to come along and do that. And listen, if that interferes with your life, you may not be who you think you are. That is your life. Christ is your life as a Christian. But we have fallen so much into the American culture, the American dream. It's about me. It's about mine. Even in Christianity. People use small little country churches as nothing but stepping stones out of seminary. Yeah, they hired me, so I got there. Preached good enough. Somebody else hears about me, and the posse comes, you know, the pulpit committee. And they hired me, and I get this bigger one, and this bigger one, and bigger one. Funny, I'm at the mega church, and I'm writing books. And we've got a Starbucks in our church. Success, right? I am far more impressed with the man who will go to a little country church and say, I'm going to teach you people. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to love you if it takes me 50 years till I die. Way tougher job. Oh, and guess what? And nobody's ever going to know my name except these people here that I shepherded. I was really nervous about this this morning. And I really felt like God had just put something on my heart that I needed to tell you. And I don't really worry a whole lot about things most of the time. Because I've I've had to deal with a lot of things, a lot of tough times. But the most important thing is to tell you the truth, to tell you that in love. And I'm going to tell you this right now. The honeymoon is over. But there's a family setting here that needs to be encouraging each other, needs to be exhorting one another. Listen, if I asked you today, how many of you are discouraged today? Uh, Probably half of the hands would go up. I want to tell you this. Hey, take up your cross. Man, don't let it overwhelm you. How can you say that? I've been there. Look around. Look at what God has done for you. Look at what God is doing for you. Even the discouragement you're going through. God's allowed you to go through it so He can refine you to be more like Christ. What are Tim, would you guys come back up? My prayers are for you. I do love you, and that don't mean nothing if it don't if it's not followed with actions. But I want to encourage you. Look to Christ. Look back at what has been done for you. And then apply that in your local church. And be more than a part. Be part of that family. 
God bless each one of you.